Let's go back to the book of Daniel this morning. It's been an exciting book. I've so loved going through this book. Unshakable, the book of Daniel. Today we're going to talk about probably the most famous uh, portion of the book of Daniel, the most famous chapter in the book of Daniel. We're going to talk about liars, laws, and lions today. (laughs) Daniel in the lion's den. Let me ask you a question. (laughs) When is it right for a Christian to break the law of the land? (laughs) That question used to be something that we sat around and discussed and talked about. And it was like, yeah, that, you know, yeah, there's a time for that. And uh, we would just imagine what that would be like. And, but this past year, as we all know, it's become something we've actually lived in. As a matter of fact, if, as I've mentioned before, if, you have, um, if you're planning today on singing in church, then you're going to be breaking the law this morning in California. Um, so what we're talking about is very relevant. It's very... Uh, when you read the book of Daniel, re- read the story of Daniel in the lion's den, there's no doubt <clears throat> that this is speaking to us about something uh, very, uh, very near and dear to our hearts at the moment. But what is very clear from the book of Daniel and this lion's den story is that there is a time to respectfully disobey the laws of the land. Not because we think it's fun, and not because... We have a rebellious spirit at all. But because we have been forced into the situation of obeying God or obeying man. And that's what uh, the, the New Testament church said. Uh, should, we, should I obey God or do we obey man? And when we're put in that position, we're forced in that position, we must make the right choice. But when we're in those moments and we have to make those choices, and I think we, we're going to see this with Daniel here, we need to encourage ourselves with, um, with some amazing, the same things that Daniel encouraged himself with. Here's a statement I want all of us to hear this morning, kind of might be the running theme as we go through the story. And that is that God honors faith because faith honors God. God honors faith because faith honors God. We may not always know how, but God will honor our faith and obedience. God gets more glory when we obey, whether, whether, it's, uh, whether we die or whether we live and we have a miraculous story to tell, either way, God is the one who's going to get more glory because of our obedience, because of our faith. God honors our faith because our faith honors God. And these first few chapters of Daniel are exciting. I mean, Daniel 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, now we're in Daniel chapter 6. Each, each chapter just has an exciting, dramatic story. It's been... It, Amazing to see how God has shaken up the kingdom of Babylon. And he's, all, he's done it through these young, unassuming, captive young Jewish boys coming in. And then they grow up and each they, we have these accounts of God just using these guys to just, to just really rattle the whole kingdom. But throughout Daniel's whole life, now he's in his 80s, he has counseled and influenced some of the mightiest kings that have ever walked on the face of the earth. But now we find Daniel in his twilight years. He's about 80 years old now. And he's still as strong in the Lord as ever. Maybe, maybe stronger. Daniel chapter 6 verse 1. Let's, let's start there this morning. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 
and hundred and twenty princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. Again, we're just jumping and diving right into a whole new king and a whole new story. And uh, again, because Daniel's not interested in just telling all the history of Babylon, he's just going to give the important facts for the readers, the people who read this book, that God wants to read this book, uh, that would encourage the believers uh, to, to listen what God can do. So Darius, remember this Darius is the new king. Uh, from a brand new empire, it's no longer the Medes and the per- or excuse me, it's no longer Babylon. The Medes and the Persians have taken over. You'll remember um, the dream that. Uh, let me yeah, next slide there. You remember the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had with the statue of gold, silver, bronze, iron, and then iron and clay. The gold represented Babylon up at the head, and the very next uh, kingdom that would come along was the Medo-Persian. Kingdom, and they now are the world power. Remember, Belshazzar had, saw the writing on the wall. The, the judgment came. Daniel told him, you're going down, buddy. That's what that means. <laughs> and that very night, uh, the Persian army came through under the walls and killed Belshazzar, the, fi- the last king of Babylon. So now the Medo-Persian Empire takes over. Uh, Darius is in charge. By the way, the Medes... Uh, were ancient Iranians. They were conquered by Cyrus, the Persian, the great King Cyrus, but also Persia back then uh, was now modern-day Iran also, so two parts of modern-day Iran. So these folks got together, the Medes and the Persians, they got together, and now we have this Medo-Persian empire. Darius the Mede is who we're talking about here in verse 1. He's also known, uh, this is probably the man who's also known as Gubaru in ancient Persian records. So here's, here's the deal. Cyrus is actually the Persian king over the entire empire. Uh, Darius is placed in charge as the acting king over the Babylonian area. In fact, the term Darius could have been actually more of a title rather than actual name. But we find out in verse 1 that Darius is the king here of this area, and he decides that how I'm going to rule this, I'm going to put 120 princes. So if you go back to verse 1, I'll put 120 princes over the kingdom. By the way, that's exactly what the historical records show that Gubaru did in, in this area. But as we all know, you place 120 guys in charge of your whole realm, uh, you can't trust politicians, okay? We all know that. So Darius is, says, okay, 120 guys. I'm going to need some level of accountability for these 120 leaders. So here's what I'm going to do. By the way, historical records also show that Darius was a good man. He was actually a good king. He was a kind man. But here's what he does, verse 2. Uh, and over these three, over these, these, these are 120 princes, I'll place three presidents of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. <laughs> As you remember the, the famous statement, you get what you inspect, not what you expect. So Darius, he says, I'm going to make sure that I p- place some inspectors over these 120 uh, princes. I'm going to call them, we're going to call them presidents. And these three are over the 120. But of those three, Daniel is going to be the primary one in charge of keeping them accountable. And the reason he wants that is so that the king should have no damage. Meaning the king should have no financial loss. Or loss of any kind, really. Because you and I know, you start giving people titles, you start giving people some power, and they start licking their chops. 
And so Darius needed a trustworthy public servant who had the aptitude and the leadership and the ability to run a government without losing everything. Where's he going to find somebody like that? Where are you going to find that kind of a person that you can trust at the top position? Business and community leaders uh, are always asking that question. Where do I find that kind of a, that caliber of a person? And you know where they should be able to find those kind of people, whether it's government or business? They should, be, they should be able to find it in a, in a local church. They should be able to find that kind of a person among the Christians. We need to be honest, hardworking, God-fearing, trustworthy people. Even if we don't agree with our leadership, even if we don't agree with whatever's going on in the government that we're working for or whatever, we, we need to be those people. That's exactly what Daniel was. So it's no surprise when Darius looked out and he looked at all his leadership that, he, that was kind of uh, donated to him from the previous government, and he looked out and he said, there is nobody better than this man right here. Very quickly, he saw something special in Daniel. And based on verse 2, just based on this verse, I'll tell you this. To me, it looks like Daniel was the most trusted man in Babylon. And, and the king saw that. Verse 3. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. So we already are seeing a miracle here. We see a squeaky clean politician, Daniel. <laughs> That's just a miracle. Again, <laughs> again, I have so much admiration for Daniel, okay? This, is, this man is 100% devoted to obeying God first. There is nobody over God in his mind and heart. But he's also able to do this thing where he is respected by all the kingdom and the kings of Babylon and now in Persia, in a, whole new, in a whole new government. They trust him. They see something special in him. And what is that quality that they see in Daniel that we should all aspire to? And that is what the Bible calls an excellent spirit. There was an excellent spirit in Daniel. In other words, there was something inside of Daniel that made him the way he was. There was an excellent spirit in him. It wasn't his outward look. It was something in him. And we know what that was in Daniel, don't we? It was the Spirit of God. It was the Spirit of God working in a fully surrendered man. 100% devoted to the Lord. 100% surrendered to God. God, make me the man you want me to be. There was something excellent then about him that just came out. There was something supernatural that people noticed. There's just something different. There's the X factor. It's Jesus in this man. It's the Spirit of God working through him. The world, see, they, they may see that and they don't know how to describe it, but it's what they should see. It's what they should see coming out of us. It's that thing that's actually in us that comes out. Here he is, 80 years old. He's never lost his excellent spirit. Where did that come from? Well, I, I will say this. I think at having being 80 years old, Daniel, now, and looking at the track of his life, and as we see here in a few minutes, a, a verse a little bit later in this chapter, uh, that he would not stop praying three times a day. That could be a clue right there to tell us where some of he was drawing that strength to have an excellent spirit. By the way, do you, do you know the only thing better than a, a young man or a young woman with an excellent spirit is an old man or an old woman with an excellent spirit? <laughs> Listen, older folks, sometimes they get old and they get grouchy and mean. Have you noticed that? <laughs> no. <laughs> 
praise the Lord not here, but, but I, I just wanted to just throw this out there. All of my heroes in my life, my heroes are old men with excellent spirits. <laughs> old men with excellent spirits. Those are the people that I look up to and admire the most. But be warned, when you seek to live with an excellent spirit and you say, God, I want an excellent spirit, in this world, there's a good chance that you are going to be a target now. You're going to be hated. You're going to be hated. You didn't even ask for it, but you're going to be hated by the people you work with, especially. Verse 4, then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find none occasion nor fault. For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Can you imagine being able to say that about someone? There's just nothing. I just absolutely nothing. Think about this. I said at the beginning of the series, you would be hard pressed to find any life story out there, any life story in the Bible or otherwise of a person with Dan, of Daniel's caliber. You, you just can't find it. They could find none occasion or fault for as much as he was faithful. Neither was there any error or fault found in him. 80 plus years of life, which means 60 plus years of working with people. And as a boss to hundreds of people, and as a boss to probably even thousands of people throughout his years. But now one could come forward. Now one of those people could come forward and call out a fault with real merit against this person. It's astounding. It's absolutely astounding. It reminds me, I think, for us, we know God's not calling us or expecting us 100% perfection. But here's what he does say in Philippians 2.15 for us. And it's not up here, but listen. That ye may be blameless. And harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Isn't that what we're called to be right there? Blameless and harmless. We can't stop people from talking about us. But we can make sure that they are liars when they're making accusations. We can do that. Anyway, we find out here that the presidents and the princes want to bring down this amazing man. We aren't told exactly why, but I'm sure there was envy there. I'm sure there was jealousy. He's the top guy. There's probably some anti-Semitism going on, probably some greed also. They'd like to be taking some money off the top and boss man ain't letting them. But whatever the motive or motives, they were having a hard time coming up with a way to bring this guy down. They couldn't figure it out. And to me, this is kind of comical because you can just read their frustration here in this next verse. Trying to find something wrong with this guy. Verse 5, Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. The only way we're going to be able to trip up Daniel is if it has something to do with the law of his God. In other words, there is one thing this man won't break. We know that, right? I mean, you can just picture this. They're all gathered in a room. How are we going to bring down Daniel? What a great meeting. You know, this is horrible. What are we going to do? Well, the only thing we can do is we got we to gotta go after how he obeys God. <clears throat> and that's the only way we can accuse him of something to the king. So they probably sent somebody on him. Who wants to go on a mission here to find out what this law of God is all about so that we can create a way to catch him? Um. And by the way, this is kind of what I imagine many conversations have gone throughout the centuries about Christians. Even right now, I guarantee there are meetings like this in places like China. What do we do with the Christian problem here in our country? 
How do we deal with the Christians? Even in America, I'm sure it happens constantly. Wealthy, powerful people sitting around trying to find a way to eliminate the voice of the biblical Christians in the society. We, we're not going to be able to do what we want to do until we, we sideline the Christians. We just can't. They're their, their voice. They keep going. They keep doing their thing, and they won't shut up. And so what are we going to do? We're going to have to do something. So to create a way to where Christians are forced to obey God's laws or man's laws. They have to come up with a way to push, to, to push a Christian in a corner uh, to where they're forced to do that. And then we're, they're going to see what the Christians will do. You know, our, or the culture police get together. They, they decide, let's put some pressure on Christians to conform to the culture's unwritten laws. You know, if they, uh, if they stick with God's laws, if they stick with what God has said and God's traditional values and all of that, then we'll cancel them. We'll cancel them. And nobody will listen to them. Lots of churches, lots of Christians are having a hard time right now dealing with that pressure to conform to that. We're struggling. Man, how do we deal with this? I, you know, I want to reach people, but, I, but man, you know, the culture is just so against who we are. And Well, this is, this is why this chapter in the Bible is so important. Daniel is such a good example of how to humbly and quietly remain firm in his faith when everything is trying to get you to throw in the towel. Verse 6, Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king. 122. Think about this. 122 of them gathered together and said thus unto the king, King Darius, live forever. This must have been quite a sight, all 122 guys walking into the, to the throne room. Darius was probably thinking in his mind as all these guys are coming in, they must have something really important to talk about. All the presidents and princes here gathered together. And they start off with their mouths just dripping with honey. King Darius, live forever. Then comes more flattery. Verse 7, all the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, counselors and the captains have consulted together. We've all gotten together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any God or man for 30 days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. All of them, all of the presidents in the kingdom, all the princes, all the governors, well, where's Daniel at? <laughs> He's number one out of this group. The king's number one guy. Where's he at? You could hear them just wording this just right so that the king wouldn't question and wouldn't interject. Where's Daniel at? Where's Daniel? And I'm sure the flattery was working. There's a weakness that we all tend to have sometimes, and that is vanity. And it was, it was working pretty strong right now in Darius because the flattery started to come out and Darius was taking it in. And they said, we propose, King Darius, a, a Darius Appreciation Month. 30 days where we can only ask you uh, for our requests. We'll unify the kingdom around you for 30 days. Your subjects, they need to honor you. They need to respect you. They need to come under your great leadership. So it's going to be all about you for these 30 days. Watch out when people start buttering you up, right? Yeah. <laughs> I remember somebody telling me a long time ago when I was just starting out in the ministry and I, man, I've kept this in my head. 
You're never as good as people say you are. (laughs) And you're never as bad as people say you are. (laughs) That's been very, very helpful to me in my head. Do not. So no matter what you say, I know I'm not as good as as anybody might might say. But I'm also not as bad, so don't try that either, okay? I think you're pretty good. Definitely not as good as you say. But the king, the king was blinded by flattery, blinded by it. And these guys took it to the next level. Anybody who doesn't do this, king, we're going to throw him into the lion's den. We're going to kill him. They weren't content to just sideline Daniel. We're going to kill him. Verse 8, now, O king, establish the decree, sign the law or sign the writing, and that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. This type of law apparently couldn't be changed at a king's whim. Once the king signs it, that's obviously a, probably a pretty good idea. It keeps a ruler from changing laws from day to day, depending how he feels. Verse 9, wherefore King Darius signed the writing and the decree. Now pause and think about this for just a minute. Bring it home to America, 2020, 2021. So the king, Darius, he signs an executive order. <laughs> he signs an executive order not to worship God, not to pray, not to seek anything from a God for 30 days. That's my order. Daniel, he's a law-abiding citizen. This is a whole new situation that he's never dealt with. He'd lived in a wicked world. He dealt with all that. He's, he'd stayed separated from the world, but still been, been able to maintain his testimony, done a great job with it. But now he's just been taken to a whole new lever. It is a, it is a law for you not to pray. He was powerless to change the law. He didn't ask for this situation. It's just a trial that came upon him for living in a wicked world. And some some would say that this was the moment now that he fought the fiercest battle. It wasn't the lion's den. By that time, he'd already made his decision. He was just getting thrown in. At at this point is where he had to decide. This was the biggest battle. I'm going to decide whether or not I'm I'm willing to die obeying God or live a little longer compromising my faith. And there's an amazing quote here I want you to see by Herman Veldkamp, a great old preacher. When we watch Daniel being lowered into the lion's den, we hold our breath in fear and anticipation. Yet by that point, the danger has already been overcome and the great fight has been fought. It is indeed a wondrous miracle that God preserves one of his children in the lion's den, but it is no less a miracle that God's gracious hand saved Daniel when all of Babylon, goaded on by Satan, attempted to pry apart those two aged hands tightly clasped in prayer. Beautiful. Look at this, verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Now, I want to take just a few minutes to talk about this verse. This verse takes on a whole new meaning to us, I think, in the light of the government shutdown of churches in this past year. You know, one commentary I read about Daniel written, it was, this commentary was written 20 plus years ago. He was warning, it was warning about a time that would come where Christians may have to disobey their government. Here's the exact quote. He said, what we may be called upon to face in the future, no one knows. <laughs> I kind of chuckled when I read that. They're right. I never, we never saw this coming. And that's still true. We don't know what's coming ahead of this. But it's a little more real now, to me at least. 
But notice that when Daniel knows about this law, he hears the law, he knows about it, he doesn't shut his window. He could shut his window. Leave them out there. They won't know what he's doing. He doesn't sit on a chair and just pray quietly, you know. No, he kneels. It makes me wonder how many Christians would have counseled Daniel at this moment. Daniel, listen, just go into your house, <laughs> close the window, sit on a chair, pray silently. If you, know, if you want a Bible verse, the Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. And remember, Daniel, God's okay with silent prayer. He loves silent prayer, which is all true. It's all true. Do not pray. And, and besides that, Daniel, it's a temporary order. It's only going to last 30 days. So just get through those 30 days and then do your thing. But remember, Daniel has an excellent spirit. There's something different about Daniel. He wasn't just praying. This wasn't just about prayer. This was an act of obedience. This was an act of faithful obedience. Just like the three Hebrew men in the fire, this was a stand for righteousness. This was me not being a coward and backing down, but it is obedience to God. Kind of like going to church is for us or singing in church. It's more than just going to church like we're going to a club, uh, a social gathering, a social club. It's, it's an act of obedience to God. That's what it is. Um, it's our faith. It's an act of our faith. Listen to this. It was written in 2013 by Dale Ralph Davis, another uh, commentator, great author. Daniel had to answer the question, what matters most, the worship of God or my safety? His response shows that he so much as said, I must not make an idol of my own safety. And so by prayer, I destroy that idol. Wow. How relevant for this moment. When we come to church each Sunday, we're breaking the idol of our own safety. I, I, you know, I wrote that in an email this past week. Some of you might have read it. But those of you who are considered in these days high risk, you, you folks have taught me what courage is really all about. By coming to church and breaking the idol of personal safety. That's amazing. And I, I just commend you. And by the way, Chinese Christians, just, that's one country, there's others. North Korean Christians, they're doing this all the time. They put their own safety on the line every single Sunday when they gather together. And not only their own safety, they put other people's safety at risk as well. Mm-hmm. All their family. All the people that they, if they're going to meet, to, they'll be following them and then they'll catch everybody. So they're putting everybody at risk by going to church. So, an idol of our own safety. He was breaking that when he knelt down that, that first time. Anyway, let's get back to Daniel's situation. I want to bring one more thing to our attention when we think about Daniel kneeling down here. What gave Daniel the spiritual fortitude to make to kneel down and keep the windows open? Ironically, I think the thing that these guys are attacking is the very thing that gave him the strength to endure the attack. They're, they're trying to bring him down for prayer. But prayer is where he was drawing all the power to do this very thing. And some may call spiritual habits like Bible reading and prayer, oh, that's just mere routine. It's just, you're going through the motions. But if we dig in and we actually do it, it's like strengthening our spiritual muscles, whether we're realizing it or not. And then we're ready when we need to respond to the crisis moment that comes. So when you think about it, why would Daniel give up on praying right at this moment? 
That'd be a slap in the face to God for giving him all this strength. How could he do that? And I wonder what Daniel was praying for at that first moment of illegal praying. I'm sure it had something to do with lions, probably. <laughs> but I'm sure he also just prayed like he always had. It's what he says. He gave thanks. He prayed like he has. Daniel chapter 9 shows us he would face Jerusalem. He'd pray that, Lord, forgive us for our sin as a nation and bring us back to Jerusalem. Which is probably why he knelt and faced Jerusalem. As British theologian P.T. Forsyth said, you pray as your face is set towards Jerusalem or towards Babylon. It's good for us to remember. Where is your face set? Verse 11, Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Look at that. These men assembled and found Daniel praying. Yeah, right. They just happened to be walking by and found Daniel praying. Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Hast thou not signed a decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any god or man within 30 days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Look at these tattletales. They came, they came near. They didn't tell Daniel, Hey, uh, you're not supposed to be praying. <laughs> they didn't say that. They just went right to the king. By the way, I don't know if you know this, but early on when we returned to meeting in person as a church, there was somebody who called the police on us. Oh, no. <laughs> to complain about us having church. Thankfully, our wise county sheriff has never made a big deal about that. Thank Thankful God. for that. Verse 13, Then answered they and said before the king, That Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. You might sense a little, uh, sense a little anti-Semitism right here, for sure. That Daniel, a captive of Judah, I'm sure they had a problem with a Jewish slave being above them in rank. They say that Daniel doesn't regard the king or his decrees. In other words, it's not that Daniel forgot your law, king. He's praying three times a day, okay? He's in there. Verse 14, Then the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Oh boy, we all know that inner feeling, don't we? When you just made the biggest mistake of your life. <laughs> Why did I do this? Why did I sign this law? Why was I so taken by my vanity or my pride? I'm sure the king was kicking himself. My own pride has gotten me here. Obviously, the, the king truly, he appreciated and respected Daniel. He did not want to lose this man. All day he tries to find a way out of this mess. But here's a lesson that keeps popping up over and over again here in the first few chapters of Daniel. Human, what human kings cannot do, God can do. Even, even the mighty King Darius could not get Daniel out of the lion's den. But God could. And it's like God keeps setting up these stories to show his power and his, what he can do. Verse 15, Then these men assembled unto the king and said unto the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians is, that no decree or statute which establisheth may be changed. And the king commanded, they brought Daniel, they cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. See, Darius came to the point in his mind where he accepted that this would be, this is just going to have to be a test of Daniel's God. And if the stories that Darius had heard over the years were true, then God would deliver him. 
He says so. Verse 17, And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. God is throwing some extra proof in here with the king's seal to show that there was no way that Daniel could have escaped on his own or with a team of people. The seal would have had to have been broken for that to take place. Makes us think about another tomb that was sealed, right? Verse 18, Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. No eating for him. Neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. The king couldn't eat. He couldn't sleep. He couldn't listen to music. This man had a mixture of stress and faith. (laughs) I say faith because he goes out the next morning to check on Daniel. And as I was reading this and thinking about this, I don't know if I would do that. He, I don't think he would have done that if there wasn't at least a small amount of measure of faith that, uh, that Daniel's God would have, would have helped him survive. Verse 19, Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice oh, Dan, unto Daniel. And the king spake and said, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou ser- servest continually, able to deliver thee from the lions? What a great question. This is actually impressive faith to me. This Darius, like the centurion, who said, I have not found, Jesus said, I have not found faith like this. No, not in Israel. Again, if it were me, I probably would have spent the night grieving over the death of Daniel rather than praying for a miracle. Lord, oh, I'm going to miss Daniel so much. But here Darius is just, I can't wait to get out there and see what God does. Darius, he calls out to Daniel. I wonder if Daniel now waits for a few seconds for a dramatic pause, you know, <laughs> just, to, just to dig it in a little. Verse 21, then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. Verse 22, my God has sent his angel and has shut the lion's mouth, the lion's mouth, that they may not hurt me. For as much as before him, innocency was found in me. And also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. So the lions had a night of fasting just like the king. (laughs) God sent an angel to stop the mouths of the lions, but maybe that angel also might have been keeping Daniel company all night. You know, I'd like more detail about what happened in that den. (laughs) Did the lions chase you around, or were you just throwing a little yarn ball, and they were just jumping around? Did they rest at your feet, and you were just petting them like little kitty cats? You know, how did that all go down? But that is not what matters. The Bible tells us what we need to know, and that is that God shut the lion's mouths. (laughs) That's what happened. God sent an angel and shut those mouths. But let me remind all of us of this one more time, and that is that God won't always shut the mouths of the lions. Sometimes he will allow them to eat eat God's people up. I don't have time. We're going to have to fly through this, but Hebrews chapter 11 gives us you know, all the heroes of faith and all the things God did for them. Uh, but would you go to verse 36? <clears throat> but then he, then he stops. And in the middle of this paragraph, talking about all the great things God delivered them, then he, he turns a corner. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourging, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. That's true. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. 
Not every Christian will experience deliverance. Not everyone will experience deliverance like Daniel. But that's not what makes those Hebrews 11 people great. And it's their faith. And no matter what happens, whether they live or they die, they were obedient. And that's what glorifies God. Verse 23. Then was the king exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den. No manner of hurt was, uh, hurt was found on him because he believed in his God. There it is, faith. He believed in his God. It doesn't say that Daniel believed he would not get eaten. It just said that he believed in his God. He, whatever you want to do, God, if, those, if you want those lions to eat me for dinner, fine. Uh, this will be the end, but I'm just trusting in you. Amen. And God honors faith because faith honors God. And in this case, he, he just removes those lions and shows his power in a mighty way. The king throws all the bad guys in the den of lions, it says next, and their families. Back then, it was a brutal time. The, the kings would kill all the families because they didn't want any family member growing up and then taking revenge on the king. And in the end, Darius makes a decree, verse 26, I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and steadfast forever, and his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall even be unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth, and he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and earth, who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. What will cause the world around us to take notice of Jesus? When we, they see the miracle-working power of God in the lives of fully devoted followers. Think about it. Here's another Gentile king giving wholehearted praise to the God of the Jews. Why would he do that? All these kings all of a sudden come to that place. They're giving praise to God. It's because this little captive boy came into uh, Babylon and God started to work through his fully devoted life to God. And, it, and everybody took notice of it. God honors faith because faith honors God. And what an encouragement for us to keep walking in that. Stay strong. Keep going. And the people around us will notice. That's why we need to remain faithful and obedient and pledge our full allegiance to Jesus. There are 56 signatures. I am with this. There are 56 signatures on the Declaration of Independence. The first one to sign the Declaration of Independence in America was John Hancock. He was also the largest signature. It's huge. And... The point was, he, I wanted to sign so, I want to sign so big so that the King of England could read my name without his glasses. <laughs> I, want him, I want that king very clear to know where my allegiance lays. His commitment to his country was so clear. Man, our, our commitment and our allegiance to Jesus should be that big. Go ahead and go ahead and read it real big, world. This is who my allegiance is to, no matter what happens. Father... I pray that you will help us.